Today's sermon text reading is from Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 to 42. Whoever receives you, receives me, and whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, City Church Eastside. Good morning. My name is Dan DeCrisio. I'm one of the elders here. So happy to be with you this beautiful Morning, wonderful weather out there, and a big night last night, right? You know, the Braves going to the World Series, go Bravos, isn't that awesome? Yeah, something to celebrate as well today. Got lots of things to celebrate today. Well, we're actually going to talk about baseball here for a second. You know, tonight at the Vision Dinner, we're happy to announce we're going to create something we hope to help with communication and knowing one another. It's actually going to be a City Church Eastside member baseball card. Yes, you heard me right. A baseball card. You can get them in packs. You know, they're going to be by neighborhood community group. And maybe we'll have some stale chewing gum in there for you as well, too. It'll be a great picture of you on front of this baseball card, you know, looking all holy and and regal as well, too. On the back of the baseball card, as they like to say, will be your stats. And some of you are getting nervous now. I mean, some of your stats, you know, maybe like what your spiritual gifts are. You know, do you play in the band? Do you serve in city kids? Are you a prayer warrior? I don't know. Maybe the church you got traded from. Maybe you're from, maybe you're from Christ Church or Perimeter Church or something like that. And you and your friends can trade them as well, too. This is something we can do in Neighborhood Community Group or DNA, right? You know, that'd be fine. Like, I'll take your Ed Burdett 2017 for the Greg Birch 2012. That's worth a lot of money. That's like Babe Ruth right there. That was awesome. Well, you know, in these baseball cards, sometimes they have like a little one-liner, a little like saying on the back, you know, something, uh, a headline for that particular player. I wonder what the Christian Hempel baseball card would say. Well, I know in, in meeting Christian, knowing him for a number of years, his headline would be a hospitality guy who loves hospitality. A hospitality guy who loves hospitality. Now, here's a guy. You know, the leader in the hospitality industry, and he takes his work home with him, is that he loves to host. He's, uh, him and Brooke are both hospitality people who love hospitality. Now, uh, if you know the Hempels, they think very strategically and very compassionately and generously about their home and, and you know, the fact that they love to cook and have nice wine and things like that, and how then that can be leveraged and shared with the community and with one another for the benefit of ministry and hospitality. I think it's a great example to us. Uh, I know it's been helpful to Alicia and I as well, too, as we think about our home and how can we leverage it, you know, for the sake of our community. Because, you know, sometimes hospitality can be a little scary. And it's like sort of how do we do this? And, you know, maybe I don't have the, a, a nice enough home or I don't have enough bread or I'm a terrible cook. You know, it just takes a, a little bit really to make a big difference. You don't have to be a leader in the hospitality industry to lead in hospitality. 
friends, <clears throat> if you had asked Christian and Brooke as well too, uh, I, I wouldn't think they would answer like, yeah, this is a lot of work and it's sort of a burden. No, it's a joy. It's a blessing for us to pour out the gifts that God has given us for the sake of one another and our community. It's a blessing. So as we consider the DNA of City Church Eastside, the DNA of City Church, this is something I'd say we want to do more of. And I say that not in a way like that we're lacking in that. No, actually, we have great ethos and, and great bones when it comes to hospitality. It's sort of like if someone discovers that you have a particular gift, like you're good at singing or you're good at guitar or baking or something, and say, listen, do you realize you're good at that? I want you to do more of that because it blesses me. It blesses you. It blesses one another. It's awesome. And so that's like us, friends, at City Church Eastside. You know, many people come here and they, they mention they feel welcome here. Let's do more of that. That's an awesome thing. <clears throat> now, I'd like to call us here uh, to, as I mentioned, think about doing more of this. But before uh, we look around at each other, or we start making plans, let's look up. Let's look up and look at the scripture. What does God say about this here? Let's look at Scripture and see how God gives us His purpose of hospitality, His power of hospitality, and plan for hospitality. Friends, those are our three points here today. God gives us His purpose of hospitality, power, and plan. Now, we have in our Scripture this morning in Matthew 10:40 this. We'll put it up on the screen for you. <clears throat> Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Now, the context of this is in Matthew 10. Jesus is, is right around the time where he's sending out the disciples, really, on their first little mission trip to preach the good news, if you, if you know where we're at. And he really instructed them to go out with nothing. Really, not much at all, really, uh, to go out there and preach the good news among strangers. He really wanted them to be needy and rely on people's hospitality. Now, what happened, as you can imagine, is that some of these people who went out were received and some of them were rejected. Some of them were received and some of them were rejected. Now, at first glance, for those who were rejected, and I know I feel this way when I read this, it's sort of like, well, that's somewhat reasonable, right? I mean, you got these strangers, you know, knocking on your door, being like, hey, I want to talk about Jesus and, uh, and the kingdom of God is near and all of that stuff. You'd be like, well, I don't, y'all don't, you know, now's not the right time. The baby's crying, you know, the house is a mess. I don't got enough bread in the kitchen. I mean, you're like, yeah, that's sort of reasonable that you would say, you know, hey, you're going to need to move on. But, friends, the stakes are really high with this. <laughs> the, the stakes are really high. Why? Because Jesus pay, uh, places this vertical spiritual implication the sort of upward spiritual implication connected to what's going on from an outward perspective, horizontally, in community. So there's this upward connection that's connected to the outward connection as well, too. And that community and welcoming and hospitality is tied to welcoming and hospitality toward himself, Jesus. Do you see that connection? Welcome them, welcome me. And there's another connection. And that welcoming hospitality towards Jesus is directly connected to welcoming and hospitality toward the Father God. It's all interconnected here. Do you see that? The ins and the, the outs and the ups. 
<clears throat> so what Jesus does here, if we look at the text, is he creates sort of a test, a test of one's faith that is linked to hospitality. A test of their faith that is linked to hospitality. Again, it has major implications. Major implications. All we need to do is skip ahead about 15 chapters in Matthew and read the story about the sheep and the goats, right? The sheep sow hospitality toward the needy and therefore God. But the goats, on the other hand, and we'll bring it up here, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then the goats will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger, naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Similar to our text this morning, the answer is, then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do one for the least of these, you did not do it for me. Big implications here, friends. Now, a lot of times you quote that scripture <clears throat> along with talking about service, you know, like serving the community and the poor and the needy and, and those on the margins. And that's true. But I want us to see here, and I never really thought about this until I was putting this together, honestly, is that hospitality and service are interconnected with one another. They're part of the same family. You know, yesterday, uh, the DeCriccios, we all got in the car and we hoofed it down to Southern Bell Farms. Maybe some of you have been there down in McDonough, Georgia. It's a little pumpkin patch and fun place to go. And on the way down there, my son Samuel pulled out this sort of gelatinous, like, I don't even call it a stuffed animal, but it was sort of like a, it's an octopus. It's something like gelatinous. It was like a tub toy or something like that. And we proceeded <clears throat> down Eagles Landing Parkway, if you've ever been down there, to get into an argument over whether that was a squid or an octopus. And so... So, oh, no, it's a squid. No, that's a squid. So it was like, what do we do? Wikipedia. You know, it's like, well, we got to find out, is this actually a squid or octopus? And we found out that it was indeed an octopus because it had suckers on its legs. Their legs, not tentacles, actually. I learned that yesterday. And, or arms, maybe. I got that backwards. Don't, don't strike this from the record here. About, I'm going to talk about octopus and squid. Both are delicious on sushi. Now... What we found out, though, is that they are different from one another, but they're both cephalopods. So they look different. They're a little different, but they're part of the same family. And I think what we see here with service and hospitality, they're part of the same family. It's not like I'm going to do my hospitality project and my service project. They're both together. And what we're bumping into here, friends, is the character of God. We are bumping into a biggie when it comes to the character of God. Our, our triune God is a God of radical service, of radical hospitality. How do we honor and glorify our God? Well, it's to imitate him, to be like him in hospitality and service. You can sense the Lord saying, be hospitable as I am hospital, hospitable. Now, I feel like if we went over to North Highland Park there, North Highland, Got that right this morning? The park with many names, nicknames. North Highland Park, and you ask any person in that park or on the street, and you said, the Father God, is God a hospitable God? And probably many people would be like, oh, that's weird. I never thought of God as being hospitable. And probably many people would be like, no, I don't think he's hospitable. I bet you many people in here, in terms of how maybe you grew up or your tradition, 
Maybe you heard more about a God of judgment and wrath versus a God of hospitality. And the reality is, is both things are true. God is a God of judgment and wrath, and he's a God of, of, of hospitality. But that his character is bigger than that. It's all those things together. And so um, I would say this skewed view that we have of God, because he's not a God of hospitality, uh, is that it, it, I say that it's as true today as it was back in Jesus' time. And it's sort of a myth you know, if you will, that's, you know, been perpetuated out there that God is not a God of hospitality. But, you know, God, he's a great myth buster, especially when it comes to his character and what he wants for us. He's a great myth buster. He likes to bust up myths. And he knows that we need a little bit of revelation around this. So what does he do? He sends us his son. He sends us his son to reveal his character. We see this in John 1.14. In the message translation, the word became flesh and blood and did what? Move into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son. Listen to this, generous. Generous inside and out. True from start to finish. <clears throat> so Jesus, he got the link from Caroline um, CCB, and he uh, filled out his uh, neighborhood and uh, he joins your neighborhood community group. But Jesus is in your neighborhood community group, friends. And in his perfect obedience, which some theologians call active obedience, if you want a little theological 101 thing, active obedience, the Son of Man is going to do the work of the Father obediently. He's going to do his mission. And in doing this mission, he's going to show us the Father. One of my favorite books, I know Scott loves it as well too, is called Meals with Jesus or A Meal with Jesus. Let's learn a little bit about this mission here. Tim Chester says this in the book. <clears throat> if I pull down books on mission and church planning from my shelves, I can read about contextualization, evangelism matrices, postmodern apologetics, and cultural hermeneutics. It all sounds very impressive, cutting edge, and sophisticated. But this is how Luke describes Jesus' mission strategy. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. The Pharisees called him a, a glutton and a drunkard, Jesus, because he was hanging out so much with everybody and eating and drinking. So now Jesus, he got the CCB link. He's now showing up at your neighborhood community group meeting, and he's doing what? He's eating and drinking. He's turning water into wine. He's reclining at the table He's hosting the Passover feast. He's feeding all of Reynoldstown with a couple of loaves and, and some fish. Yes, he's teaching. He's discipling. He's serving. But more often than not, it's in the context of hospitality. Yes, sometimes it is in the synagogue, but many times it's in the home and in the neighborhood. That's where the ministry of God is being done. Hear this, friends. <clears throat> Jesus, who is God, of course, is a God who loves to receive and give hospitality. He loves to receive hospitality. He loves to give hospitality. Jesus is a hospitable God, and, and we're called to imitate him, as it says, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians, then therefore we must be hospitable too. 
The church father, uh, Cyril of Alexandra, on Feeding the 5,000 says this. And just a little aside, I, I love if you're a church father, you just go by like one name. You're Cyril of Alexandra or Cyril. You're Tertullian, you know, just like one word. Or if you're a theologian, you have your last name and you have your first two like initials, you know, before it as well too, like R.C. Sproul. I don't know. What's your middle name, Scott, you know? Oh, and T. Wright. Yeah, there you go. I was going to say we could call it something, S. something Armstrong. I don't know Scott's middle name. Mike? Michael. Okay, S. M. Uh, there we go. Perfect. Armstrong. Now that I got you all distracted. So, friends, uh, this is what Cyril of Alexandria says. We need to listen to this church father here. He has some good wisdom for us. And on, on feeding the 5,000, what do we infer from this? <clears throat> that would be feeding the 5,000. A plain assurance that hospitality receives a, re, a rich recompense. I can never say that word. Recompense. Say it. Recompense. Thank you. Thank you. I need, some, I need help. I'm coming vulnerable to you and my lack of being able to speak. Let nothing therefore prevent willing people from receiving strangers. Let no one say, I do not possess suitable means. What, can I, what I can do altogether is trifling and insufficient for many. And this is what Cyril here says. He says, receive strangers, my beloved. Overcome that reluctance that receives no reward. The Savior will do what? He will multiply the little you have many times beyond expectation. The purpose behind hospitality is simple. We are to be like Jesus, and he was perfectly obedient, and he was wildly hospitable. Now, as I mentioned before, for those, including myself as an introvert, who are sort of like saying, eh, but this stuff's kind of hard to do, right? It's a bit hard to do. It doesn't necessarily come natural. It can be hard work. You know, in a previous sermon, I talked about how Alicia and I, when we lived in New York, we had a 450-square-foot apartment. You can't fit too many people in a 450-square-foot apartment. Actually, when we had Thanksgiving once, we had to move half of our furniture out of our living room into my minivan. It was a corporate minivan. Uh, and, and the table's up the six flights of stairs and then move everything back out again. So that's how we, we manage that. It's tough, right? It's, it can be embarrassing. Like, I, I don't necessarily have the means to do that. And I've spoken with a, no, a number of you about this as well, too, in that, in, in that you want to do a good job. You want to care for people well, but maybe you don't have the right-sized crock pot or you live in a 450-square-foot apartment as well, too. There can be a lot of pressure. Pastor Matt Chandler <clears throat> says this in a recent Gospel Coalition article on hospitality. He says this, In some ways, it's the big flashy acts, the kind of stuff we photograph, slap a filter on, and show our friends online that goes most noticed yet requires the least of us. I am convinced, I'm convinced that Christian courage probably looks more like inviting a group of strangers into your home for dinner than the attractive, successful ideas we've dreamed up in our minds. These sorts of things actually require courage because they do what? They force us to rely on the Lord and his strength, not our own. When we open up our lives, we make ourselves vulnerable. Yet we can do it because of the hope, the strength, and the courage we get from the Lord. <clears throat> hope, strength, and courage, real ingredients for hospitality. Earlier this morning, we read a, a passage from Ruth. Ruth book that we normally don't talk much about. You know, it's in Judges, which is a, a whole series of 
stories we don't talk much about, but we should. You know, there's something to learn here. Ruth was a Moabite woman, not an Israelite, not, not a Vegemite. That's, that's a, if you get the song where that's from, you know, let me know. Or, or a Vegemite is, an, is one of the veggie tales playing an Israelite, actually. Just a little known fact. She was a foreigner, an outsider. Ruth was on the margins. She was married to an Israelite, but he died. So she was a destitute woman. If you know the culture of this, at this time and the situations women were in, this was a, a really bad thing. She really had no chance, but she was faithful. Ruth was a faithful woman, both to her mother-in-law, Naomi, but also to Naomi's God, which historically wouldn't be the Moabites' God. She's faithful to her God. So enter, as Ian read this morning, Boaz. Boaz. We see Boaz showing favor to Ruth, service and hospitality. In just a couple of scriptures, we'll, we'll give some excerpts here. Now, listen, my daughter, do not go and glean from another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. And Boaz, showing generous hospitality, come here and eat some bread, dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Doesn't that sound like some stuff in the New Testament Jesus did? Having leftovers, abundance abundance there friends this destitute woman who is on the margins ruth the moabite was shown radical hospitality by this man boaz known as a kinsman redeemer we're not going to get into that but he's a kinsman redeemer and oh by the way through this generous and radical hospitality we find out later that this ruth this destitute woman on the margins was the grandmother the great-grandmother of King David, and therefore a descendant of Jesus. And that through this radical hospitality, as it says in the Jesus Storybook Bible, it says that you know, God's rescue plan for the world, it was done through radical hospitality and service to those on the margins. I believe this teaches us something about the power the inherent power of hospitality. There's real power. There's real implications for us around it. It's surprising, right? We're surprised by someone's hospitality. Radical hospitality is surprising. As Scott just mentioned, N.T. Wright, he wrote a book called Surprised by Hope. We could write one called Surprised by Hospitality. It should be surprising. I mean, look at the scripture here in Hebrews 13, 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for some have entertained angels unaware. It's surprising, radical, open hospitality. You could be entertaining angels. Imagine that. We should be surprised, but then again, on the other hand, not so surprised, right? We know, as Christians, where the power to do this work comes from. It's not surprising, but it is surprising to the world. It is surprising to the world. And actually, when you read in the letters of Paul, it's actually foolish. It's actually foolish hospitality. So where does this come from? The cross. It comes from the cross. The foolishness of the cross. The cross is the ultimate symbol an invitation of hospitality. If you think about it, what Jesus did on the cross, his obedience unto death 
He secured for those with faith in him the ultimate invitation, the kingdom, peace, shalom, the home our hearts long for, the hospitality and welcoming and invitation our hearts long for, the love that our hearts long for. Because many of us are always looking for love, as the song goes, in the wrong places, and he's given an invitation to the right place. To the right place. The cross is not an invitation of works. It's not an invitation of works because it is a work. In and of itself, it's a work of the Redeemer, Jesus. It's Jesus' work. We can't do anything to deserve the benefits of the cross. We actually do everything to not deserve it. Every day. It comes out of a place of love and grace. Krish Kandaya uh, <clears throat> uh, from Christianity Today says this, The cross opens up something of the cavernous depth and meaning of the love, grace, and wrath, and compassion of God. It offers fresh faith for the doubter, new hope for the despondent, belonging for the lonely, and salvation for the lost. The cross is not just a commemoration of death, but an invitation to life. At the heart of the atonement, hear this, friends. At the heart of the atonement, what Jesus did, what we celebrate on Easter, is divine hospitality. Where God invites the undeserving and unexpected to come home with Him. It's like what, what Annie sung this morning. We just sung this morning. Come home, gather around, all ye refugees, come in. We are all the refugees And this invitation of hospitality is drawing us home. It is the gospel that is the power behind our hospitality. The the gospel is what is behind our hospitality, or at least it should be. It must be. It's amazing grace, my friends. Amazing grace. We know the song, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was once lost, and now I'm found, and I'll add, thanks to the cross, we're invited to the partay. We're invited to the party due to the cross. And the party is now. So let's go and invite all of our neighbors and friends to the party. Right, Reed? Yeah. But the cross is also not yet. I should say the party is also not yet. There will be an ultimate party at the end of time for those who believe in this foolishness, this message. Of the cross. Revelation 19, 7 through 9 says this Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, John, who's writing this, Write this. Blessed are those who are what? Invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. After John heard this, he fell down on the floor in worship. And the angel was like, no, get, get back up. But doesn't that want to make you worship? Doesn't that drive us and motivate us out of gratitude and grace to worship? Thank you, Lord, for this grace. Thank you for saving me. This should motivate us to worship. It should motivate us to hospitality. So we're doing this not out of compulsion or obligation or guilt, but out of grace and gratitude. 
<clears throat> so what should we do? What's, what's the plan here? What's the plan, Dan? Let's surprise one another. Let's surprise one another. Let's surprise one another with radical hospitality. I mean, this community, this city, you know, let's surprise ourselves with this great hospitality of where we're loving our neighbor and loving one another. There are great rewards from God. There's a prophet's reward, as it says in the scripture. There's a righteous person's reward. But at the end of the day, too, it's just fun, right? Celebrating. It's just fun. So let's celebrate together. You know, Matt Roloff a couple weeks ago preached on Hebrews 10.24. It was a great sermon that talked a little bit about this, and so I'll read this again. It says here in Hebrews 10.24 on the screen, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is in the habit of some, but encouraging one another as long as you see the day, the not yet, drawing near. In Hebrews 12, excuse me, 13, 2, we just read this earlier. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for therefore some have entertained angels. So we have these two things in showing hospitality, you know, in, in uh, showing it, we might be entertaining angels and then stirring up one another to love and good works. So we're going to talk about this tonight at the vision dinner. <clears throat> I'm going to talk about this tonight at the vision dinner that in addition to be called to be hospitable as Christians, of course, be hospitable as, as I am, I think we need in this room, in this neighborhood, in this city, a little hospitality, right? We need, we need hospitality. We, we, I mean, after a year and a half of getting punched in the mouth and dried out by the pandemic and the racial tensions and, you know, crime and the political season and everything that's been going on, I think we're all a little burned out and gassed. I mean, am I right? You know, or I think we're all a little burned out and gassed. We need a cup of cool water, probably literally, but also spiritually and metaphorically and Italy, you know, in, in addition to that. We, our thirst needs to be quenched. <clears throat> we need to break some bread. We need to drink a little wine and invite our neighbor and celebrate together. So we're going to uh, talk tonight, and we're excited to talk about this, both Kirsten, myself, and others, about how we want to invite more of the church to serve, to be a part of the family and serve. Again, not out of compulsion or guilt, but out of gratitude, out of amazing grace, and that some within that group we would like to call to be deacons, to help stir up, to do the stirring up. It takes leadership. A lot of times we say, well, it's just going to happen organically, but, you know, I've done that and I've trusted people who have said that before and, and, and nothing happens. And so, no, it's going to happen organically, but at the same time it's going to happen intentionally. Those two things can kiss together here, intentional and organic at the same time. So, friends... <clears throat> You know, we want to invite more into the diaconate. And the, the, the diaconate has been a part of the ministry of the church since Acts 6. Since Stephen and, and the rest of the folks were, you know, their hands laid on and brought into the church as deacons. And deacons not only just serve the needy and those on the margins, but also the church. The root of the, the term diakonos, it really is Greek, that means just to serve, to be a servant. So that's a calling for all of us, and then we'll set some apart for the sake of leading that as well, too. 
A major way for deacons to serve, as I mentioned, is through hospitality, welcoming, connecting people, getting the word out, stories of grace, visiting and caring for those on the margins, but also one another within the church. So let's do more, as we are next week, sandwiches in the park. Let's do more sandwiches in the park. And, you know, a late-night conversation between me and the person who came up with that idea. There might be a dance party in December, too. We haven't talked about this, Scott, yet, but it could be. Dance party. We have this great space here. We need the disco ball. I'm sure Reed could get that for us. More sandwiches in the park. More yoga on the roof. More neighborhood parties. More feeding the homeless. More one race. More mentorship of students. More fellows celebrations. More supper clubs at the country club or on the front porch. More sipping bourbon with our neighbor. This, this gospel-motivated hospitality, it's not an end of itself, but I'm going to steal a little bit something Charles Spurgeon said, but it's, a, it's the front porch. It's really the front porch of all of the ministry that we do. It, it is the front porch. It's that God does through us the welcoming, the connections, the fellowship. It enables then the discipleship the evangelism, and the service. So let's gather. Let's stir up one another to love and good works. You know, discover your designs coming up, like perfect timing. Understand, what are your gifts? What do you have to give? It doesn't have to be financial. It can be just, you know, being a great host or trying to be a great host. We're going to do this out of grace and gratitude, not out of obligation or guilt. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be fun, right? And when someone sees this weird, radical hospitality, hopefully it is weird, radical, and compelling to the world because it should be different than how the world shows hospitality. We should do this, as it says in 1 Peter 3.15, that we be prepared to, to give an account and a defense for the hope, for the hospitality that is, that is seen through Jesus And we're going to do it with gentleness and respect. So in conclusions, friends, hospitality, the purpose is Jesus, the power is the gospel, and the plan, we're all a part of the plan. We're all a part of the plan. So let's be hospitable as he is hospitable. Let us pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, uh, you are the most amazing host Lord of Lord, King of Kings, Heavenly Host, Father God, you're preparing for us in the Father's house many rooms. Father, you prepare us a meal. You give us food, Um, Lord, that is both, both actual, it's actual real food from a worldly sense, but it's also spiritual food. You feed us. You give us your spirit. You're always giving, giving giving because you're a God of abundance. There's lots left over. Father God, we need to draw upon your power that our vine would be grafted into yours, grafted into yours to receive the power through your spirit and gospel so that then we can pour out to one another, Father, and however that looks in our gifts and in our connections and our vocations and our neighborhoods and our schools and our families, whatever it is, As Brooke said, Lord, this morning, it's just a little, even if it's just a little, it's a little baby step, Father. It's a step in the right direction, Father God. Let the world see the hope 
that is in us. It's the hope of you, a hope that will not put us to shame, Father God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to rest and celebrate this hope, Father. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to take some time to respond to God's word through confession and then moving towards his table.